0: Hello, Internet. Mike here uh, with a very special co-host. I want to let you know, uh, welcome to the Vox podcast um, from suburban Columbus, Ohio, where it is 46 degrees, a balmy 46 degrees, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in the middle of February, which, you know, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. bad. I have a very special co-host today, at least for the first part of the podcast. This is my son, Nate. Say hello, Nate. Good morning. good morning Nate is uh, 14 years old he's gonna be 15 in June we're recording this in February big Nate is um, it, he I just woke him up about five six minutes ago so he's uh, he's fired up I'm fired up uh, but I wanted to give Nate the opportunity to speak specifically on the hot take that he made <sighs> last week um, regarding so I called Nate before we yeah. started podcasting last week, with uh, news of the Cavs trade around the de- deadline, yeah, Nate called back in the middle of the podcast and um, had a hot take for us. I did. Where and what was that hot take,
1: Nate? Uh, we were going to be horrible. That's what. That's what I said. And what actually happened, Nate? We were amazing.
0: <laughs>
1: so I regret saying that,
0: <laughs> Nate. If this is the first time you ever say anything wrong on the internet. Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not—it's not that big of a deal. It's not, yeah. and
0: and and I'm glad you're wrong, to be honest. Yeah, me too, me too. I'm glad I'm wrong too. Because tell me, tell me about how they. What, what you and I were watching the Cavs-Boston game. What did you keep saying over and over?
1: I I kept saying I loved it. I had like a smile on my face the entire time. And look, LeBron was super happy. Yes, he was smiling. He was yeah, fired up. It was great. It was great. So the Cavs are back. Um, they're back. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. What about know. the Browns? Oh, Browns! Sixteen and zero next year, undefeated, Super Bowl win. Mark my words, right here on the Vox podcast. <laughs> Hot take number two. Yes. Oh my goodness. All right. So uh, after they lose the first week of the NFL season, we'll bring it back on. Well, they'll just be fifteen and one. All right, <laughs> and they'll go on to win the Super Bowl.
0: So, Nate, uh, right. one of the reasons why I'm excited to have you in studio today is to just give us insight into the teenage mind. Okay, so what's it like being a teenager in 2018? Um, <sighs> like, what's good?
1: What's good about it? What's good is you got lots of time left, and um, <laughs> you got lots of friends, and you got to just, just chillin'. You're just chilling. You're just chilling. Okay, you, know. you can chill at all the other ages, too, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's maximum it's not, chill at it's 14. It's not an intricate, like, deal. Okay. It's just, you're a teenager, you know. Okay, what's hard about being a teenager in 2018? I mean, it was hard, it's probably, um... Zit? Yeah, it's, that always sucks. Yeah, what else? Um, I don't know. Uh, moving from California to Ohio when, right before freshman year in high school, that always, that always, Yeah. that's always great. Do you like
0: anything about Ohio? No, I
1: love, I, I like Ohio. I like Ohio. It's just like, you know, that, that was hard. Yeah, that was hard. You asked me what the hard things were about being a teenager. But that's not being about, that's just not about being a teenager though. That's just, <sighs> that, I'm just saying. I mean, that Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. All right. What else? What else? Um it? Well, one team, time, Nate,
0: okay. uh, what, I don't remember when you said this. It was like a year ago or something. But you were, I don't know if you were moody or something. And and your final shot as you were like leaving the room was something like pre-pubescent mood swings. <laughs> you're like, blame it on the pre-pubescent <laughs> mood swings. I
1: remember that. It was awesome. Blame it on the pre-pubescent mood
0: swings. Yes, but now that you're in, now that you're pubescent... <laughs> Yeah, what's, yeah. That, what's that like? <laughs>
1: uh, um, you know, it's it's weird because it seems like a couple days ago I was I was like five four, now I'm five eleven. Oh, look at and you go! And you had a squeaky voice, and now and now you talk like this. Yeah, no, but like people think I'm a sophomore when I'm a freshman. It's oh, like, it's so hard. It's a it's a tough life. It's you know? a, it's so hard. Do you want to, um, do you want to say anything about your YouTube channel to the world? <sighs> Are but, you serious? You were actually, I deleted it. All right. So oh. nobody can like, no, get off. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Nate, you were going to be famous. <sighs> you were going to support the family. You're going to oh. be the next Logan Paul. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm not gonna film some dead person in a forest. Okay, well, that's good. Check. All right. Yes. All right. All right. Internet, we love you. Oh my goodness. That was. We'll be right back. Why would you ask that? Hey,
0: everybody. So Nate, Nate's forgiven me. We're back. Um, <laughs> it was so funny. I just, I literally just woke him up and said, hey, let's do a podcast. And he had no idea what that meant. So uh, I'm not sure that's an experiment that will be repeated. <laughs> uh, today, Andy's away and he is missed. Um, uh, and what I want to do is uh, is I want to talk about just a couple of quick things. I don't know how quick they are. One is we had another school shooting um, and, and then, then uh, the, you know, inevitable follow-up uh, about that, um, which, which, you know, there's tragedy in 17 kids. I mean, I, I, have, I have a high schooler. I have a junior higher. Both are in public school. I am a third grader in public school. And like this is no longer the exception, right? I mean, what's the statistic? I don't know if it's right or not, but 18 shootings in 45 days. Um, let's say that's true for the sake of argument. I mean, who thinks that's acceptable? And, I, and I'm sure uh, the the conservatives on the on the uh, uh, political spectrum would say that's unacceptable. But we seem to lack the political will to try anything, right? We're so polarized, it's either we yank all guns off the street or we don't do anything. Those seem to be the only two options. And because of that, nothing happens. We're beholden to uh, lobby groups and political agendas. and, And, you know, we just sit and watch this become normal. And for me, the irony in that is, listen, some guy brought a bomb on a plane in a shoe and all of us take our shoes off. Right? We, I mean, think about what we did to shore up the cockpits. So you can't gather in the galley area. I mean, think about all of the ways we changed airlines in response to something that our culture deemed totally unacceptable. Right? I mean, we have bent our lives around safety, particularly in travel and airplanes. Why? Why is that missing? And, and I think because it's the only options that are out there are just the all or none options. I mean, I don't is and seriously, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but is anyone really against gun safety? Is anyone really against uh, limiting the permission of a 19 year old troubled student to a freaking AR-15? Really? Is anyone really against that? I mean, I, I agree. I don't know how, but can we at least freaking try something? I mean, even if it's not the most perfect solution, can we try it? Why is it that that other developed countries don't have the same Issue. I'm sure they have the same rates of mental illness and sin, right? I mean, it's kind of infects all of us. Why? Why is it such an issue here? I mean, to to say nothing and to do nothing is to just accept this as status quo. I cannot believe that any good faithful Jesus person deems this acceptable. I just I cannot believe that. And if your right to own a gun is more important to you than your allegiance to the peacemaking Jesus, well then you're following something else. I mean you're you've invented some other religion. This isn't this isn't the way of Jesus. Of course you can own guns and follow Jesus. Of course you can hunt and follow. I'm not saying any of that. My point is when you look at a culture that is drenched in violence and you look at a culture where access to guns seems, seems too easy, right? Who, who out there doesn't have some sort of motivation and, and, and what, what, what's the solution? I, I don't have any idea. I mean, is it arming the school, school teachers? I mean, I, I suspect no, but I don't know. I just want to try something to say to our children, we have to do something. And and here's the irony of all this all all of the, the folks on the conservative right uh and I, and there are many issues i am so sympathetic with on, on that side of the political thing um what you're doing by failing to do anything is that you are guaranteeing an entire generation will be raised um as um as democratic voters that's what you're doing Absolutely. By fighting these short term battles, by appearing, and I don't know if it's true or not, by at least appearing to be beholden to the NRA, by refusing to do any freaking thing. I mean, you have high school students from that massacre who are begging you on media, social media, to to just act, do something. I mean, it doesn't just demonstrate a commitment to declare this isn't status quo. I'm not saying that means everyone has to give up their guns as if that would be the worst thing ever. I don't understand that line of thinking, but uh, understandably, we have this constitutional right. Great. But at what point, see, we, we all agreed that we were willing to limit our freedom for the sake of safety when it came to 9-11. Why is it we do not make that same agreement now? That's, that's just the part I don't understand. Why is it okay why is, and someone wrote this on Twitter, I just thought, why is my right to own uh, an AR-15 worth that same gun being used in these massacres? Why, why can't we all just willingly submit our freedom for the greater good? I don't, I don't get that. And I can hear the, well, that's how totalitarianism starts and blah, 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 blah. And um, I, I'm just saying, listen. If if you don't do a thing, if you're a Republican, and you are fired up about gun issues, and you will not you will not budge on this issue, um, you are simply saying to the next two generations um, uh, go ahead and vote Democrat. Everything that you as a Republican treasure will be repealed, replaced, tore down. The overcorrection will be unbelievable unless you demonstrate some semblance of common sense about this issue. That's just a couple of thoughts from some schmo in suburban Ohio. Now the big question for the day, uh, we are in a season called Lent. Um, there is a there is a church calendar that um, that the church has followed for years and years and years and years, and based around the life of Jesus. Um, so the church calendar, the church new year starts around uh, December uh, in the beginning of December, not around December, but in the beginning of December with uh, the the uh the season called advent which is the preparation the yearning for god to come and to keep his promises and so christmas is that time when we celebrate his advent his coming and uh and then you celebrate the 12 days of christmas after the the first day of christmas which is christmas day and then you then you celebrate something called epiphany which was the kind of revealing of god and then you have in the church calendar you have different you have different. Uh, things in the life of Jesus that you're celebrating, that builds up until the, something called Lent, which is a season of 40 days. 40 is an incredibly important number in the Bible for things like fasting and living in the wilderness. Lent is traditionally a time for repentance, confession, contrition. Um, it's, it's preparation for the joy of Easter. It's, it's a time of lament. It's a time where uh, we reflect not only the on the evil in the world, but the evil in our hearts what it is that put Jesus on a cross. And, um, and, and it's also a season where, you know, we we'll begin to reflect on that whole journey towards the crucifixion narrative of Jesus. Now, one of the questions that we've gotten several times at the podcast is, hey, did God abandon Jesus on the cross? And how, how exactly does that work? And so um, I, I want to read an answer from a guy named Greg Boyd, uh, uh, Greg is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, certainly we would disagree on some things, but he's unbelievably smart. and um, and and in this thing, if if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know we did an interview with him. Um, he he makes a really big deal out of the fact that God abandoned Jesus on the cross, and, and he wouldn't use that word, but I want to quote from an article that he wrote where he talks about this, and, and then I want to present a slightly different take on the issue, and that'll, that'll be our podcast for today. So this is, I'm quoting from Boyd, all right, for the next two paragraphs. At the climax of Jesus's suffering on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to read that whole text in just a little bit. It's a jarring moment in the narrative. Um, To forsake is to abandon. Did Jesus really believe that God had abandoned him? Was Jesus right about this? If he was right, what does that say about God if he was wrong? What does that say about his connection with the Father and about his standing in the Trinity? Uh, This is second paragraph. Jesus, or excuse me, yes. Jesus had committed himself to doing the Father's will even though he anticipated it would involve a great cup of suffering mentioned in Matthew 26, um, Paul tells us that on the cross, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to actually be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5. This means that on Calvary, which is a Christian way of referring to the hill upon which Jesus died, this means on Calvary, the all-holy God was totally saturated in our sin. Not only that... But Paul also teaches that on the cross, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's in Galatians. Um, Boyd writes, one who is cursed is estranged from God, which is why when Jesus took on our cursed state, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the separation from God that we deserved while experiencing abandonment on an infinitely more profound level than we could ever experience. This means that on Calvary, God, whose very nature is perfect, loving union of Father, Son, and Spirit experienced the profound disruption of our God forsakenness. So, so, um, obviously, Boyd's take is, no, that was actually a real thing that happened. And, and maybe it is. I mean, certainly with the, the, the big statements that that uh, Boyd points out, we became sin, He became sin um, on our behalf, or that he um, he took the curse uh, by becoming a curse for us. I mean, those are really huge statements. but but I've always kind of wrestled with the fact, that I don't know, I don't know that this honors Jesus's Jewishness. Uh, I I have no doubt the things that Boyd is saying about, you know, what Paul says are true, no question. But I I wonder if there's another explanation uh, that can at least include this. And if you're thinking, well, why does that matter exactly? Um, Why does it matter if, if Jesus, you know, was abandoned by the Father? I mean, what, what, who who cares that's not going to help me get a date or something so so uh, understood I understand but but if you're if you're saying that that this idea of a trinity, God as father son and spirit and still being one God is central to the Christian faith to say that somehow uh, that was splintered or that was forsaken or something i I think there are implications that are important if that is actually true um so what I want to do is I want to read, uh, a little bit of the account from the book of Matthew, and uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. So now I'm quoting Matthew, and love quoting Boyd, but Matthew Matthew gets a little bit of a, uh, you know, little bit of a priority here. Um, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the Praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. Can you hear all those birds? We're having like an influx of birds right now into my house, it sounds like. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Uh, They knelt in front of him, mocked him, hail King of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, uh, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let us let him come down from the cross. We will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him rescue him now. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, "I am the son of God." In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insi- or insights. <laughs> Heaped insults on him <laughs> from noon until three in the afternoon. Darkness came over the land about which about, th- <laughs> I'm sorry, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And I don't know how to speak Aramaic. So it's, it looks like Eli, Eli, sabachthani um, which which uh, Matthew translates for us, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this, of course, is where people like Boyd and others sort of get the idea, oh my goodness. I mean, Jesus, Jesus you know, instead of praying father, now he's using this formal, my God, my God. And he's saying, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them uh, ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink, um, and now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Now, I, I kind of always received that as, well, yeah, there it is. I mean, doesn't, doesn't Jesus say, why have you forsaken me? And, and so uh, Boyd and others, of course, kind of build a, a bit of a, a theology around that. The issue, and the issue for me is, is that, that I don't know that how well that respects Jesus' Jewishness. And here's what I mean. Jesus is constantly alluding and referring to and quoting the Old Testament text, always. He is a person of the text. And not just because he was God, but because he was Jewish. And, um, and so Jesus was steeped in the Old Testament narratives. And, and one of the ways that Jewish, particularly rabbis or teachers, even though rabbi was in a formal designation at the time, uh, Jewish teachers would speak um, and comment on things is they would. They would do something called a remez, r-e-m-e-z. A remez. Um, some people call it the hinting method, where you would quote part of a text, but you had the whole text in view. Um, it, it, so, so these are dumb examples, but if I say, "Listen, two men walk into a bar." Right? You know what's coming, even though I haven't filled in the rest of the joke, right? Um, or if I say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, if, if you've been raised in church at all, that you know that's the beginning of Psalm 23. Uh, or for God so love the world, uh, John 3.16, right? Or in a galaxy, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? You know we're talking Star Wars. So, so in the, in the, um, time of Jesus, one of the ways that Jewish rabbis would, would talk to each other, debate publicly is, um, that they would quote a bit of scripture, but they had the whole thing in mind. And, and, and the Jewish audience of the time would have known that. So as it turns out, what Jesus is doing when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting directly from a Psalm, Psalm 22. And, and, and instead of just including the one line, why have you forsaken me, when you read the, the rest of the psalm, the rest of the psalm, it seems like there's a ton of crossover between what Jesus was experiencing at that moment and what the psalmist had written about um, years and years and years before. And so perhaps we don't have to go into this big convoluted explanation of how the Trinity experienced disillusionment or forsakenness, perhaps what Jesus was doing uh, was simply reciting the text as he was being crucified. And the things that we get from that, and the reason that we can suppose that is is that there are these commonalities between what was happening to Jesus in Matthew's account and John's and Mark's and Luke's, and the things that Psalm 22 hints at. So let me read some portions of Psalm 22 and see what you think. So this is uh, for the director of music to the tune of the The dough in the morning. All right. So we all know that one. So they have that in the back of your mind. This is a Psalm of David. All right. Verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are one of Israel's praises. You are the one Israel praises, excuse me. In our ancestors, (laughs) I cannot read. You are, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Um so so yes, you've forsaken us, God, but you were still enthroned. We still boast of you. Um uh David then writes, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And then, and then literally this is straight from Matthew. Um, He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. Literally, those are words that, that are in Matthew's text about the things that were being said to Jesus. All right, so Jesus, so you have to begin to wonder, why is Jesus quoting the first line from this psalm? Well, can we take it as some sort of ontological statement that Jesus is experiencing separation from the Father? I have no idea. That's above my pay grade. I don't know. I'm just saying, I find it fascinating that we never, it never occurs to us that what Jesus was doing was what something a lot of Jewish people did um, when they were being put to death by Rome is that they would recite the text, And so you have, we have records of people reciting the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, um, uh, as they were being put to death. We have the examples of Christians singing Christian hymns as so they're being put to death. And so you have, I think, um, at least the possibility of Jesus reciting Psalm 22, not just as a psalm of suffering, but notice what happens. Jesus says, uh, or David, excuse me, says in the psalm, uh, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From mother's, my mother's womb, you who have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There's no one to help. Uh, he, then he says, many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. These are images and metaphors of trouble. I'm poured out like waters, uh, poured out like water. And then he says, and all my bones are out of joint. Now, I don't know if that's poetic or if that was actually happening to him. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. One of the things that Jesus cries out from the cross is I thirst. And that—that's all the text says. He just and Jesus says, "I thirst." And I've always kind of, well, okay, I'm, I have no doubt. But if you're reading this in the in the context of Psalm 22, you're like, "Oh, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. I thirst." right? To me, it makes a little more sense. Then the, the, the writer, David goes on to say, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me, right? A pack of villains. So, so one of the very famous things that the Messiah, um, at least in the Christian reading would do is the Messiah would be counted among the transgressors. He would be, he would be found among the villains. Um, uh, he says, "Dogs surround me. Listen to this: a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet." Now, there, there's a, there's a, a bit of a textual dispute over whether or not "pierce" is the best translation. All the people I trust think that it is. Um, I don't. I'm not enough of a Hebrew guy to know uh, if it's not the best translation because there's some Jewish scholars that say, "No, no, no." To try to try to avoid the obvious like correlations between this and Jesus. They, they actually think it should be translated um, pierced like lions do their prey or something. But the, the way the NIV renders it is dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. The people stare and gloat over me. Again, exactly from Matthew. Um, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. I mean, it seems like this is straight out of the time. I mean, it seems like Jesus is actually reciting this as those very things are happening to him. Yeah, and then, he says, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs, rescue me from the mouth of lions, save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Um, he says, verse uh, 24, he is not despised or scorned. The suffering is an afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Now check this out. Okay. From you, God, comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek, the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And then, and then it turns to this ultimate vindication of God. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. And then that's the Psalm. <laughs> and what's interesting is, is the phrase, he has done it, it, can also be translated, it is done. Or if, if you're liable to see some correlation, it could be translated, it is finished. So, um, uh, the, I, I, think that, I think that I, I wanted to highlight this for two reasons. One, I just want to constantly remind us, um, because I need it of the Jewishness of Jesus. And, and obviously it's a theme that many are talking about and, and we're being reminded of that. Um, yes, you have an English translation and hallelujah. Anyone can pick that up, read it, learn from it, benefit from it. Absolutely. Um, uh, but, but there is a depth to it that can be appreciated when you dig just a little deeper, right? There's just, there's, there's texture and written it, richness to it. And when we have this big, you know, statement, well, yes, God abandoned Jesus on the cross. Uh, I just want to at least say, well, okay. Um, but, but what's your backup for that? And the backup is, well, it says, Jesus says you've forsaken me. Uh, and, and Paul says you actually were sin and Hebrew says, or, uh, Galatians says you were a curse of the law. Uh, so you became a curse for us. And so, and so maybe that's true. Maybe the holy God coming into contact with our sin recoiled in horror and the father and the son were separated in that moment. Uh, maybe that's true and may- maybe that's right. I also just want to throw out the possibility that um, the reason Jesus quoted that psalm is he was doing a remez. He was quoting the psalm and whether he quoted the rest of it or not as immaterial, the people of the text would have heard him quote the first line, seeing his garments being divided and lots being cast, seeing him crying out for drink, seeing him right, be mocked by his accusers and would have put it together, oh, and and Psalm 22 was considered a messianic psalm, a kingly psalm, they would have put it together that here is, in the most ironic and unimaginable way ever, here is the installation of the king, here is the coming of the kingdom, the suffering servant of Isaiah, the suffering Messiah, the glorious king, all of that was being wrapped up in the suffering of this Palestinian peasant and and if you would have had the eyes of faith to see it in that moment because to our worldly vision it was rome one jesus zero but if you would have had the eyes of faith in that moment, and you would have gone with Jesus' thought um, about the text, and you would have said, oh my goodness, he's quoting from Psalm 22, and then you would have seen Psalm 22 come to life as they were crucifying Jesus. And then you know the psalm ends with God being vindicated in the sight of the nations, and in the sight of the people, and in the sight of the rich, and in the sight of the poor. Perhaps, perhaps you would have realized at that moment that what you weren't seeing was defeat. You were actually seeing victory. And so I I just present that as another way to kind of view this whole event that yes, 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 of course, the suffering of Jesus, awful, horrific. We can't even imagine what it was like to become a curse, what it was like to become sin, but I wonder sometimes if we read those, read those things through Greek ontological categories, rather through Hebrew categories. And for me, I just want to throw it out there that perhaps it's something else. So would love your thoughts on all of those things. My brothers and sisters, um, I'm so grateful for you. So grateful for your support. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you don't know what Patreon is, go to patreon.com. And just like it sounds, and um, people actually support us to not only build the podcast, but we give away books. And um, I'm going to deliver a revelation podcast this week. We're going to start that after a year of promising. Um, so there's some some good stuff happening. Anyway, we love you and um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, holy cow, may he give us peace. Um, we need that so very much. So my brothers and sisters, till next time, thank you for tuning in. Hey, thanks for listening to The Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.